Welcome to the Pelvic Pulse Podcast, where formally off-the-table topics take center stage so you can feel comfortable, confident, and free in your body. This podcast was born out of the desire to share the intimate and necessary conversations about one of the most ignored, abused, and suppressed areas of our bodies, our pelvises. Not sure where that is? Let's put a finger on it, shall we? I'm your host, Brittany Ellers, holistic pelvic physical therapist, womb worker, and educational speaker and advocate for all things pelvic health. My hope for this show is that it enlivens listeners like you to take steps towards healing your own relationship with your pelvic space holistically for fuller embodiment and a more loving human experience. So when you're ready, let's take a deep breath and dive right in. Hello and welcome back to the Pelvic Pulse podcast. I'm sitting here with my friend and fellow PT, Carrie. How are you doing? I'm great. Hi, (laughs) how are you? I'm doing well. (laughs) I'm so excited to have you here just because we've known each other since I became a pelvic PT and there's been a lot of expansion, a lot of change, a lot of learning done together. And I see you as a really valuable peer and friend and yeah likewise (laughs) likewise yeah I've learned a ton from you thank you I mean I just see I could see this episode being um a way for women to see how they could embody themselves a little bit better because I think you really exemplify that for me especially because you're also a mom Mm -hmm. of two beautiful girls thank you yeah yeah and like a lovely partner mm-hmm. and just yeah you're living a really full life that honestly is expanding for me oh yeah. I love to hear that <laughs> yay thank you yeah I mean there are many more reasons of course but do you want to share with people maybe a little bit more about your background and maybe how you got into PT and all the other things yeah PT that came up secondarily for me I had no interest to be a physical therapist growing up or anything. Um, I My background is that I was a professional dancer. I did mostly classical ballet and then theater and went to undergrad for acting. And so I was in a completely different world. Um, very selfish, dramatic kind of world. And so I wanted out uh, in my early 20s. And so how did I get into PT? I think I originally wanted to do PT for dancers. It felt like a transition without completely leaving the dance world. Um, But then I kind of quickly realized dancers are crazy. (laughs) Just kidding. (laughs) Working with dancers is tough, which I actually do work with them now. But once I was in school, I, uh, once I got into physical therapy school, I ended up going the neurological route Mm. and was doing brain injury and stroke and vestibular. And the brain was so fascinating to me right away. So that might be one of my cues is the, where I am now is just that I had this really innate interest about the human mind and how we really don't know that much about it actually, which is crazy. Um, And actually I had, I'm remembering now one of my last projects in physical therapy schools that we had to come up with a business. Oh yeah. I'm just, okay. I'm just realizing this now is that I came up with a, like a women's wellness practice. 
Whoa. Which is weird because I didn't actually get into it until several years later. (laughs) I'm just remembering that now. We can come back to that. Yeah. Wow. I didn't even specialize in women's health or anything. I never took any extra courses in women's health. I don't know why, but I did like a women's, well, it was called like women's wellness something. And now here I am living that. Blocking stuff right now. Holy shit. Oh, can we curse on your podcast? Okay, cool. Let's be real. Um, So yeah, physical therapy school. I started working with veterans at the VA in Palo Alto. And that was very different working with mostly male mm-hmm. soldiers and active duty and veterans. Um, ended up leaving that world and having kids. And it's actually having kids is what brought me into women's health. Because even though we go to PT school for three years and we get a doctorate. We have this well-rounded education. They actually, in my school at least, we didn't really focus on women's health. We didn't focus on pelvic health. It, it really was, I think there might've been one, one ex- piece of exposure, extra course that was optional. And I don't even think I took it. Right. So <laughs> it's almost like how doctors in the medical programs they get one hour of nutrition. Right. You, know you just mean? get like a little exposure to see if you're exactly. maybe interested in it, which I really wasn't until after I had a baby. Yeah. And it was the after portion. So when I was pregnant, I had a rough pregnancy. Like I was not, no I was not glowing. <laughs> there was no glow. <laughs> I was in pain. Like immediately I just started having some pubic bone pain, back pain, knee pain, um, I feel like I gained a lot of weight for my frame and I was living in San Francisco at the time. So you had to walk, climb all these hills. And I just was like, every step of a hill felt like this, this effort. And again, even though as a PT, I didn't seek help for the pain I was having. I just kind of felt like this is who I am. I'm weak and with a big baby. I don't know what wow. to do. It was very like now thinking back, how helpless that was. Mm. It was not an empowered um, time of my life. I didn't have the knowledge or the support or the community to understand that like being pregnant and giving birth can be like ritual. It can be empowering. It can be coming into your femininity. It can be um, communing with other women. I really didn't have that. Luckily, I did have a coworker who had assisted on some births. She was a physical therapist. And she randomly asked me if she if she could be my doula. And I was like, I don't, what is that word? <laughs> I didn't know. Doula what? <laughs> I was like, you want to, you want to birth my baby? What? So she was wonderful. And she explained what it was. And she was the reason I ended up not having to have a C-section because I, I did want to have an epidural because I was just, like I said, I wasn't super educated and I have a very low pain tolerance. So I was like, Nope, give me that epidural. Uh, so I ended up, you know, being completely paralyzed from the waist down and my contractions stopped. And because she was there, she was able to manipulate my body and oscillate my pelvis and my legs for literally hours. And it got me from eight centimeters to 10 centimeters. Doctors were like, we're going to have to give her a C-section, like get ready for a C-section. And I thought I didn't care about C-section. I was like, whatever. It's just better than stretching out my hoo-ha. Like this, these were my thoughts. Oh, I don't care. Just cut it open, get it out. And how old were you at the time? I was 36. Okay. 
Yeah. So I was a little bit, I was of advanced maternal age. Yeah. Not geriatric. <laughs> no, they call you geriatric maternally, but it's not an actual geriatric. Um, and so, uh, but when she said you were going to, you're going to have to have a C-section, I burst into tears and I was mostly surprised by my reaction. Cause I thought I didn't care. Yeah. It's so weird how you never know how you're going to react in the moment I remember my husband was like what 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 like he he thought I didn't care either like and what's going on so I just all of a sudden realized I didn't want a c-section and I don't even really know why it just something hit me gutturally that it wasn't supposed to happen now that's not at all to say that c-sections are bad or that they can you know it that's not all this was just a personal odd reaction I had in my gut and so my friend PT doula was there with me, pretty much got me through these early morning stagnant time. And all of a sudden I was at 10 centimeters and, and able to push. Yeah. Um, so I had the baby. It was hard because I was not prepared to push. I was physically pretty weak mm -hmm. and I was put in that awful hospital position on my back with my legs up. I had absolutely no ab strength to push. It was like really it's just like it's disconnecting almost a little bit I could see it being hard to I don't if you have an epidural I mean you can't feel anything can't feel. and they'd be like push and I'd be like did I do it they're like no <laughs> I was like shit you know so I started doing like no no mirror and then they were telling me to basically purple push and hold my breath and wow. bear down and all these things and I didn't have the education to know to not and that I was just probably going to blow through my pelvic floor which I did um so I did have a tear um she was healthy she was good and it was after the birth I was going to some mommy and me classes I was realizing that all of us had the most terrible posture. My wrist, both of my wrists were really bad. I had decor veins in both wrists and I was sleeping and wearing like braces wow. while trying to hold this newborn. And all these women around me, our necks were killing us. Like we were felt so disconnected to our abs. We're here at a mommy and me class. That's basically for the babies really didn't think it was more about just the meat, like the baby meat. part. Yeah. Um, and all of a sudden I was like, well, I can help you guys with getting your abs back. Like we can do Pilates and I can help with wrists and neck. So that was how my private practice started. It was just very organically. There was a need and I was like, okay, let's do this. So when my firstborn was three months, I must've been in a, I was like in a state of confusion, but I created, wow. created my practice and did the website and put the small business together, which is all kinds of things I'm really not talented at but you basically had a second birth of your business I did have a second birth like while in like some postpartum coma because mm -hmm. <laughs> it's such a fuzzy time particularly in that first three four months after so that happened and I recognized that I did want to keep working after having my child which was um something I didn't know how I would feel about some women know right away I can't be a full-time mom I need to still work. That's part of my identity. It's my purpose and joy. And some people, some women are just know they want to be stay at home. I had absolutely no idea. And then it turned out I wanted to work part-time. So that's what I did. And Sounds like a balance. 
It's a balance that is a bit like standing with one foot on each canoe edge, like standing up where you're just constantly like, you're too much to the right, too much to the left. But when you find that balance and the lake is calm, it's like, it is pretty sweet. It's really nice. You just gave me, actually it was more like skis, <laughs> and him just being like, whoa, 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 like That's, legs going everywhere. But. Yeah, at times it does feel like that. Mm. Um, it takes a strong pelvic floor yeah, pelvic floor takes one resilient pelvic floor <laughs> to handle that uh, yeah so um my pelvic floor practice started mostly with like postpartum very spe specific to that population it just felt like to me these were my people and it at the time, I felt like this was such an underserved population and no one's doing this but me. Like, I didn't really know anybody else, even though there are a lot of wonderful practitioners in San Francisco that I then got to know. Mm. Then I moved on to Southern California, where I met Brittany, lovely lady. <laughs> and uh, I feel like my whole perspective opened up to what women's health is and what pelvic health is and just supporting females um, from a physical standpoint, because we are physical therapists, but in my now practicing since 2007, I don't know how many years that is, it's opened up to be far more than just physical. Amen. You just, it's just, that is just a teeny bit of somebody, even though they are seeking me out because they have pain or dysfunction or injury. I tell people now right away that the way I practice is holistic and it's going to, if you are comfortable, if this is what you're going to sign on for with me, is that we are going to be getting into that emotional stressful part about it, you know, that's affecting your body. Because we know research shows that stress causes heart attacks, it increases your blood pressure, it can kill you, all these things. But for some reason that we stop the belief that um, your emotions are affecting the way your body feels. And that's, that's just... Sorry, but it's true. Yeah. We may not be able to show it in traditional research the way that the Western community, like research community likes to have it, quote, proven. Right. Evidence-based. Evidence-based with a high N and, you know, double blind study with placebos. It's that that can't happen. But when you meet enough people and when you do your own deep personal work, you recognize that it's truth, that we hold unprocessed, childhood experiences and these don't even have to be major traumatic experiences oh, yeah. they can be little things that we thought that we forgot in our brains but our body did not forget exactly issues are in the tissues most of the time Ooh, did you make that? i did not, oh, I, did not. I like it That's thomas myers for you anatomy train issues are in the tissues for sure i mean and there's tons of practitioners that um support this that it's in the fascia that it's in the muscles I mean, when you look at writing, the way people write, when you write about any sort of big moment or big emotion, writers will connect it to a body part. My heart was beating. My stomach was clenched. My head was pounding. It's lit. It's visceral. That's a great point. So these things live in our bodies. And in my opinion, you can't heal fully from something that seems just physical, unless you start to at least address and acknowledge that underlying thing. We may not, you may not even be able to pinpoint it. It's just, what are you feeling in your body? I feel like I'm going to vomit. Cool. What does vomit feel like? What does that feel like? Is it pressure? Is it waves? Is it coming up? Is it coming down? Is it cold? Is it hot? Just acknowledging that 
giving it space to be there without with your best not to resist it because who likes to vomit not many people so you know you're like actually just maybe let it be there and it's just it's shocking to see how it can flow through your body and then oh my god your pelvic pain is gone i'm a miracle worker no it's like we sometimes they people just need guidance to have the permission to feel into their bodies and then allow what is that emotion Ooh, like can we let that sit and it's it's space holding it's like sacred space holding especially when we're working with the pelvic floor um the pelvic area and all of these things that can happen like birth and just that transition that emotional and energetic and and heartfelt transition and initiation even into motherhood but also just beyond that and you know um one-off situations with sex like all of these are just you know things that can unlock something in us and as practitioners and as people who have done quote unquote the work and really started to embody all of these spaces within us we can show up and hold space for others yes Absolutely. I think that's critical for any kind of practitioner who is in a quote leadership space. We're not really leading. We're really just holding space and we might be guiding. Um, But I mean, this really, in my opinion, should be for all of the medical practice, like for any medical practitioner. I feel like we as pelvic floor therapists, because it is a quote unquote private part of your body. Um, we are, we, you know, we are taught reverence. We're taught space. We're taught um, decorum and consent. respect, consent. We're, this is part of our training. Um, however, with my personal experience, it went deeper than that to really hold the space because I might just touch someone's knee and say, hey, are you ready? And that in and of itself triggers people because there's a vulnerability and it just might bring up an emotion. And so I was quickly pushed into this, like, okay, am I going to be here? Am I going to be scared for this person? Am I going to try to say, no, 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 you're cool. Or try to try to um, jump over it and, and not pay attention to it. Or am I going to be comfortable enough to hold space for them and allow them this emotional release, whether that's in loving silence or whether that's with a question mm-hmm. or, you know, but not the, not the thing that parents do all the time, which is just like rub your kid, pat them and say, it's okay. It's okay. Like, <laughs> I think that we all have the best of intentions when we say that shit, but it's so patronizing actually. Cause guess it what? Really it's not is. fucking okay. Yeah. Like the kid is in pain or is in, is sad or like really confused. And so it's like complete the sentence, right? Like it's Okay. In that sense, like it's okay, don't have the feelings, but it is actually okay to have the feelings. Right. Yes. But yeah, there's so much of, but I I feel like because it's really because that person who's watching is uncomfortable and they don't know what to do, that they start to do the, it's okay, which the the background narrative is stop. (laughs) It's okay. You're good. You're good. Right. I mean, and I get there's toddlers that their emotions are all over the place and there is a time and a place to kind of like, Get up off the horse, my friend. Get up. You're good. Shake it off. Let's move along. But um, rather than like indulging in them. But um, when it comes to pelvic practice, I quickly learned to be able to hold space for somebody who was feeling something emotional and not one, not merge with it. Yes. It's not my pain. And I don't have to, and I don't even have to feel badly 
for them. Right. You don't have to drop into them. I don't have to drop into them, but I can still be there for them and just allow them the space to feel what they're feeling and not make them feel stupid, not make them feel like embarrassed or like they're wrong or anything like that. So to me, then I started to think, well, why are we not doing that for a knee or back or a shoulder? Every PT, and like I said, any practitioner should really be able to hold space for somebody because like, yeah, if we get physically injured and our ACL pops, guess what? For us, for like a athlete, that's a big deal. That goes far beyond that. I can't play this season. Right, right. Well, that's like, that's how I learned. You know, I was straight up into the sports, like sports med, orthopedics, working with professional athletes, working with high school athletes, working with just kids who are active. And it means a lot when they are injured. And that's where I learned that like emotional component is, is so like also impactful on the body versus just like the trauma quote unquote, or like the um, mechanism of injury, right. Just taking a wrong turn and yeah, kind of having something happen. Right. Um, but I love, so I love the work that you're doing right now and how you're incorporating coaching mm-hmm. into your pelvic practice. And I want you to talk a little bit more about like inner alignment, because what I see is like, we're both doing similar, similar things, right? It's a holistic approach to the body, to healing the body, to working with these energies and everything. And I mean, my tools are maybe a little different. Like I use craniosacral, Mm -hmm. I use somatoemotion release, like you use intuition too, but like, I would love to hear more about your, your tools. Yeah. I love, I love too, that there's so many different ways that people can approach holistic practice um I think it makes a difference because who you are Brittany is like your essence is going to be so healing for people right and then my essence is different and so yeah anyway but so inner alignment is a practice that I um, started a couple years ago for personal reasons it was pretty much during the pandemic and I was just I was depressed. I was anxious. I mean, the world was, the world was, you know, in a tipsy. And I actually, I have a personal history with depression and anxiety. I, I was adopted and I have the most amazing family, but I think just being adopted comes with its own sort of sense of loss and abandonment, of course. So just growing up, I feel like um, I would have hits of depression and I just kind of felt like, oh, that's me. Like I'm the depressed one. Um, And then sometimes I'd be fine. Um, But I was no stranger to medication, to therapy, to having down moments where like I couldn't get out of bed and my parents would drive up and like my mom would live with me for two weeks Mm -hmm. and like best mom ever, best dad ever, best parents, just like super, super supportive. I know I'm getting like, I'm getting a little bit in my throat thinking about how supportive they are. But um. You know, now I'm like mid forties and (laughs) um, I started to want to tackle anxiety and depression in a different way. Um, I saw my sisters-in-laws very different a couple summers ago and um, asked them like, what you're you're like, you just, you look different. You're acting different. You just seem like a different person. What's going on. And so she told me about this practice inner alignment that was created by Kimberly Beekman. And it's a really a mishmash. It's a series of tools, a series of meditations um, that work with 
the daily neurological rewiring by doing practices, meditation practices, mantra practices, um, going deep into like forgiveness and release, um, going into a sacred heart space and what that is for you, connecting to your own spiritual source energy divine, which to me was like baloney. I was so resistant. I was like, <laughs> God, whatever. <laughs> I just was raised with religion that I, it's not that I, it's not that it was like bad. I just didn't like being told who to talk to and what to say. <laughs> There. I was like, why do I need to say this right now? I don't know. It just felt very, it felt disconnected. It didn't feel connected to me. So one, one of the practice parts of inner alignment is helping people to discover their own spiritual connection, whatever that is, whether it's nature, whether it's God, whether it's Robin Williams, like there was this most beautiful woman who was a former, um, she's an alcoholic. And she, when she connected to what divine looked like and spoke like to her, it came in this vision of Robin Williams, That's so amazing. like who also had his issues with addiction and depression and is also one of the like kindest, sweetest, caring. And so it honestly, like, I truly feel like finding whatever voice or vision speaks to you or the part of you that you need at that moment, whether you're lonely and you need connection and friendship, or you need mothering, or you need a solid male, um, entity and and power like i feel like i have tons of different divine beings that i can call upon depending on what i what my soul needs like your spiritual squad yeah spiritual squad team of light like it's just and i continue to build who they are yeah. and it's done in meditation like it's not done through like ooh who do i want to you know it's not through my mind i mean that's a big thing that i talk about too with people is like what's in your body and your soul and your heart and then what's in your ego and your mind because they're gonna be two different things usually ego mind it, it can kind of it often try to keep you safe it's it's small it's constrictive it is constrictive i mean at the same time the mind is not a bad thing it's a status quo you know the it, mind keeps us safe like literally right. keeps you driving in your lane right so that you don't drive off the bridge but you know but it keeps us basically in kind of like this on your toes trauma response all the time. Mm -hmm. Like what's going to happen next? And we just don't need to live that way because 99% of the time for most of us in at least modern day America, we we are, we're, we're, we're safe. That's not true for everybody. I totally recognize that. But um, we have to recognize that like in little bits of moment, if you could take time and you could like slice it up into minutes seconds microseconds within that microsecond are you actually safe most of the time the answer is yes and our bodies don't always feel that way our minds don't think that way so if we can kind of flip and start to just listen to what your heart is saying or feeling so the other part besides the daily rewiring practices is soul retrievals or healing sessions which is pretty much um we like to use this visualization that if you're in a house and the basement has all these little fires going right and you're up in the attic 
and you've opened up the windows to let that smoke that's come up from the basement, it's going up through floor one, two, three, and it's in the attic. You're opening up the windows and you're blowing that smoke out. That's you doing yoga, right? Every day. That's you um, going out and hanging out with your friends and finding connection. That's you doing a self-care bath. That's you, all these awesome practices. But the truth is those trauma packets, those childhood experiences, those little fires in the basement are still there. They're still simmering. Mm -hmm. So the second half of inner alignment is going through your body into those memories that are almost subconscious. We don't even remember like what the problem was or what was going on, but that's going down to those fires. Right. That's like the repressed stuff. Yeah. It's this, that's the stuff that's stuck in your body. Yeah. Because we'll literally be looking at present day triggers. Cause let's face it, shit triggers us every day. All the time. Traffic is like one of the easy ones, but I mean, coworkers, spouse, kids, like anything, your own body image, right? Like your own thoughts, they trigger us. And the thing is most of the time, we're not actually pissed about that. It's old. It's something old that's being brought up through your body. Your body responds. Now, most of the time we are not paying attention right. to that body sensation. Or we're suppressing that Suppre- like, yeah we're, we're knowingly like taking the thing we're knowingly like scrolling the, the feed all of that just to maybe not acknowledge it oh yeah the numbing out I think we're all real good at that oh, yeah you know you it's got Netflix specialty. you got ice cream you got alcohol you have sex you have just anything that you're just like nope shut down <laughs> it's easy yeah but it doesn't ever make you feel good good when you're done you don't feel energized or replenished or calm there's not like a sense of expansion or groundedness or steadiness it's just still kind of empty and or I don't know whatever people feel in their bodies so um going through your body to to go into those experiences and give you what you needed, not because we're changing what happened. You obviously can't change what happened, but this is where having a spiritual practice is 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 critical to connecting to yourself. Because in the end, you can give yourself that thing. It is, it's like a form of reparenting. It's a it's a form of inner child work. I will assume actually I haven't done that myself, but it's yeah. it sounds like it because I yeah. do inner child work and it sounds very much like that. Like you going into the certain memories, which you mentioned already, like they don't have to be traumatic. Like no, my experience was just remembering that my mom once told me that I was when I was sucking my thumb. I sucked my thumb till I was like eight years old. Oral <laughs> <laughs> fixation. Yeah, exactly. Um, but she told me to try to get me to stop that I was going to look like the beast from Beauty and the Beast if I didn't. Well, because like, what do you mean? Like your teeth? my teeth would and... be all like snaggled tooth. Oh. <laughs> and I don't know, like I held on to that. And so like that led to this feeling of unworthiness. Like I wasn't going to be beautiful. Da, 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 da. And Which could not be farther from the yeah. truth. <laughs> but yeah, when I brought it up to her, even she like, no, I didn't say that. Yeah. I'm like, yes, you did. I remember. But I went back and reparented myself through meditation. And since then, it's just like, yeah, I can. I, yeah. I am who I am. I'm beautiful. I have a slight overbite. but Do you? I've never noticed. You have beautiful teeth. Oh, thank you. Some of them are fake. A story, <laughs> a story for another day. Okay. <laughs> well, that's trauma right there. You know, actually. Oh, yeah. Just something super interesting we could potentially talk about. But like, yeah, I fractured my teeth in college doing human bullying and <laughs> I know it was so dumb we were in a frat and I wasn't even drunk I had one jello shot 
um some of the guys that were there were like you should do it you should do it I was like no 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 I'm not like which is just you would slide like a slip and slide on the tiles uh, oh. slicked with beer and soap and water oh, God. And there were these like, inflatable pins at the end just painting a picture for you <laughs> that is and, quite the picture yeah eventually these guys were like yeah do it I'm like oh fine okay I go and I slide into the pins I'm okay I'm walking away but a guy slid right into me and I fell face first into the floor fractured my teeth they put, like chalk in my mouth powdered up and yeah it was pretty bad it was like two of these front teeth and then the next day I had to get some imp- not implants I had to get some temporaries um and and it was just a whole process throughout college like wow I got braces I ended up getting a tooth pulled so now I have an implant and a crown um but since then it's like the oral care even connected with like um my pelvic health all of oh it. gosh jaw and pelvis yes. are mirrors yes yeah you got tight jaw you got tight pelvis I'm a bit yeah. for sure yeah and same actually, so I have like dental trauma from being a child where I would drink grape juice from my bottle because it was the only way I apparently I would go to sleep. So I'd sleep with grape juice in a bottle and all my baby teeth rotted. Oh, and yeah. so they had to wrap me in a papoose where they basically are just strapping you down and rip out my four front teeth. Now, I don't actually remember this, but just the very thought of it is traumatizing and so then I had a part like a partial I guess they call it it's basically four fake teeth yeah bridge at a bridge Mm -hmm. which then kids made fun of me for because I had fake teeth um but the iron the funny or not funny but thing is then my one of my daughters fell on her face um when she was about one and a half and uh I think she swallowed half of her tooth anyway like what like got cracked and we couldn't find it and eventually it developed an abscess and it had to be pulled and they had they put her in one of the papooses now they numbed her up but what's crazy is they put her in the papoose they numbed her and then they took her out well you just stabbed her with a needle she doesn't want to get back into it for you to pull the tooth so people had to like hold her down and I couldn't stand to have other people hold her down like people she didn't know so I like basically laid on top of her and tried to like just give her comfort but of course she was completely freaking out and so parents you will traumatize your children you just will it's part of the process I mean it's definitely it helps to tell them even if they're little you know like this is what's gonna happen da, 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 yeah. da, but not a lot of people or practitioners even just have the time and space for that based right. on medical right system. but anyway that was tra- that was like more re-traumatizing for me maybe to have to like actually mm. put have my like physically hold my child down right. to to have them have their teeth ripped out that was yeah. awful it's pretty quick but it's like it's still traumatizing sure. um but yeah teeth and pelvis jaw and pelvis yeah. very connected I mean I feel like just even from if you think about sexuality even like yep. just having these boundaries ruptured in sexuality whether or even at the dentist or at um a gynecological exam it's just like they're they're penetrating your body and it's like wildly uncomfortable yeah it feels it feels unnatural it feels like and there's just so many practitioners who it just becomes a job yeah I've had so many pelvic patients and I'm sure you have too 
where they, you know, they have pelvic pain. Well, that's where they're coming to see me. But I'm like, how, you know, are your gynecological appointments? And they're just like, like their practitioners will just be frustrated with them. Or like they won't give them time to just take a few deep breaths. I had one woman who would say, I asked for just a little bit of time because I just couldn't relax. And the practitioner like rolled her eyes or sighed. Now, whether this was reality or her perception, not sure. And so she ended up, she's like, well, then I just started to tell myself to fucking suck it up, you pussy, and just fucking do it. And I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I was like, that, that was your voice? She's like, yeah, I just say that to myself when I got to get things done. And I was like, okay, one, we're really insulting the pussy. And two, well, like that's so, would you talk that way to your daughter? Right. Like your pussy has her own voice too. She'd probably be like, she's a hundred percent. She was like, why are you jogging me that way? Yeah. (laughs) The pussy lips are just jogging. I just... Well, to talk to yourself in like such a negative way, I, I know it seems, unfortunately, it's like so natural for people to be mean to themselves, but it was a, it was a practice for her to yell at herself when she was like getting emotional or couldn't do certain things. Like, I almost just wish that more people understood like that voice that you're saying to you isn't it could be directed elsewhere. Like literally, if you even just reverted that out to the practitioner, like, hey, what the fuck? Why are you rolling your eyes? Yeah. Give me some time. I'm the one paying you. Like what? 100%. Sorry, this is ruining your day. Yeah. But I'm about to get a speculum shoved up my hoo-ha with zero like respect. So give me a fucking minute. Yeah, exactly. I hope you're enjoying this episode with Carrie and I wanted to step in and number one, acknowledge that you can't hear me as well as normal, but I promise next episode will be better. And two, to let you know that I'm opening a group experience called SLOPE, which stands for Secure, Loving, Open Pelvic Embodiment. And the reason I created it is that I'm noticing that not a lot of women or vulva owners have a foundational understanding of their pelvic floor and anatomy, let alone their pleasure and sexuality, or using their feminine frequencies to help balance them out physically, energetically, and spiritually for a fully embodied version of themselves. And yes, a lot of women will come to me to learn for their physical needs, like for first-time moms or postpartum issues such as leaking, diastasis, or painful sex. And if I could just teach women the other underlying energetics, help you connect to the process, what's going on with your external life, and relate it to your body's messages, I think it would make a huge impact on your life. Women who take the time to integrate this information and turn it into a deep knowing or better said, uh, remembering or a coming home are some of the most confident women in their own skin. I'd love for you to take part in this journey where we'll clear the space, cultivate our individual practices and self-care, and be able to cycle through all the phases of our menstrual rhythms and current or future life phases like postpartum and menopause. We begin next week on Tuesday the 20th. So check the link in the show notes for all the details and to register yourself for the slope experience that you probably wish you had had when you were in your 20s. Now I hope you enjoy the rest of the episode. Showing me yours, like I feel like when I just had a a retreat, so Mm -hmm. it was called Reveal. And there was a section of it where we actually looked at our vulvas all together. 
And it Mm -hmm. felt like not in integrity to be the only one clothed, if that makes sense. And I ended up, um, because you were leading it. Is that yes. So you were not revealing at first. Or well, you were. everyone, everyone did at the same time. Everyone revealed. One, two, three. Yes. On these down. Yes. Uh-huh. Well, every, yeah, everyone did it on, in their own kind of like private thing. And then we had little blankets around us or little uh-huh. towels. And we had mirrors in front of everyone. And we grounded into the body. We like tapped into the feelings and awareness and just had this like slow opening. And of course, this is what, it wasn't like the first thing we did off the bat. The <laughs> Hi, how's your, much, how's your vulva? Yeah. It was very much like. Um, and another person just phrased it like it was a seduction for the body, mm. you know, it was a really sweet opening and it felt so, uh, yeah, just felt really embodied and in integrity to be with these people at the same time, like not just in leadership, but also in like peer and also just, just also to give another person another visual of what another vulva could look like. It's true. Cause we know yes, that we know. they're could not be more different vulvas out there right but everyone else i mean a lot of women have never even looked at their vulva right right so i mean right charlotte sex in the city i think it's ugly (laughs) no wonder it's depressed but like yeah to know to know that what an interesting experience what was that like for everybody um i mean i i can imagine it must have been obviously a sacred space to to for everyone to feel comfortable enough to do that yeah it was it was very much like that it was really it was low pressure low stakes I think Mm -hmm. and we're gonna be getting feedback from them um coming up here so it'll be interesting to hear what's actually unfolded since then but in the moment everyone was actually very at ease and I think I did a pretty good job (laughs) (laughs) We definitely went over like the anatomy and just all the different structures that we were going to look at, not just the vulva, but we did work internally on ourselves mm-hmm. um, and felt around for certain things like um, the periurethral sponge, like the perineum, like the urethra, like the pelvic floor muscles at different places. We didn't actually do a lot of cervical work at mm-hmm. all, but maybe that's for the next time. It just felt you know, this was going to be an introduction. And so even just having that time, I think we were about like 20 minutes with the vulva in completion. And for me, it just felt like, wow, I feel like I don't only talk the talk, but I walk the walk a little bit. Hell yeah. And it felt really empowering for me in that space. Yeah. Wild. You took it to another level. <laughs> That's real stuff, man. And I mean, there are some other practitioners who aren't maybe pelvic PTs, but I've heard and I'm learning that they're doing this work as well and showing and instructing people live, whether that's virtually or in person. Um, but it is like a, it was a sacred container where I even felt safe with these people. Right. So the point of this of reveal was for women to what become like more comfortable with their vulva and their it, pelvis and understand their yes, pelvis. Yes. And more comfortable with their fullest expression, mm. like whatever that looks like. Yes. Yeah. I mean, full circle. I mean, you know that I just started reading Tammy Lynn Kent's book, Wild Feminine, and it's all of that. How much of your power lives in your pelvis 
I mean, going back to inner alignment too, and just chakras, right? Like you have your root chakra, which is at your perineum. Um, Even if you're going through like um, the meridians, I believe that's called CV1. That that is your root chakra, which is at your your perineum. Even like your neurological like root bundles, you know what I mean? Yes. The nerve bundles. Yes. And then your pelvis is your sacral chakra. And so, I mean, in a, that safety root existence security, and then you've got your pelvis with creativity, abandonment, connection, sexuality, balance, harmony, like that is the stuff. And so getting in touch with that, I mean, so I don't have a super strong root in sacral chakra. It's getting there. But when I first learned about these concepts and I did this meditation, just sort of like light up each chakra, which is you've got your chakras from your crown, your third eye, your throat, your heart, your solar plexus, then your sacral and your root. I could connect or feel or vision everything from say um solar plexus and up mm. and sacral and root were like like you know you got like the tumbleweeds I was like nah I got nothing I got I just I didn't feel it I'm not a particularly earthy kind of gal <laughs> and you know having you know having been adopted that's a very root chakral disruption so I just um but then I had such a wonderful adoptive family. I feel like they um, gave me such a strong sacral connection. Mm-hmm. So, but anyway, I just, those are, those are the chakras that are usually the most imbalanced for me and getting, working with pelvises, like you say, walking the walk, because you can't, you're only going to be so good of a coach and a guide. If you have done, like, if you haven't done your own work, then you're just a textbook. I mean, you're not, you're not really in it. So to do your own pelvic work, to do your own personal growth, that is the thing. And I feel like I'm becoming more and more connected to my sacral energy and my root energy. And it's, I'm finding that it's allowing me to step into creative spaces in a braver way that I, honestly didn't even think was possible I want you to talk about yes like this dance aspect because I feel like that's what you're yeah to a little bit and just your return to dance yeah so I stopped dancing when I was like 24 or something and then got my PT degree which took a lot longer than I wanted it to um and then started my career I had a family I, it was 18 years in between dancing professionally and then going back to a class. That's like a whole person's worth of time. <laughs> it's a grown up adult person worth of time. Um, so going back was like, I couldn't even remember an eight count. I couldn't remember choreography. I mean, like I love music and I'd always listen to music, but there was something that I just disconnected from. I think I'd had so much of it, you know, in the professional dance world that just really killed it for me but um but my body still wanted to dance I had danced since I was three years old like music just I can't understand when I look around a concert or something and people are just staring at I'm like you, you're not moving any body part you're not lipsing I don't get like to me I just like I just it blows through me I got a body I understand there's all kinds of people but to me it's like so foreign not to move to music so 
going back into dance and coming back in a way that's not with a this professional expectation on you was was totally different um but also coming back in like at that time I want to say I was 40 I felt old <laughs> old dancer put out to pasture like <laughs> I mean I was quote unquote old when I stopped dancing in my early mid 20s I mean you're just that I mean as women we are just sold this narrative that when we get older like we got nothing else or if you're a mom like now you're a mom that's all you get right or like you got to keep working at your career like you don't get to do anything else there's just like this weird narrative that I don't know if society's putting on us or we're putting on ourselves that when we get older we're like put out to pasture and that's it we got nothing else particularly creative like creatively because as a child, you're allowed and you're encouraged to experiment and go to art class and put your hands in the mud and roll around on the ground and grow like a tree to movement. Like you're asked to be a creative expression of yourself. And as you get older, that really dies. And then you get, you're this older woman and you have had kids and like, it's like weird that I would be doing this, but I've always been a dancer. My mom always told me to go back and I was just like, <laughs> I can't mom, I can't do the things that I used to do. And it's so sad. And, and I was finally able to find a way to get back into it. And now I've been back at it for the last six years. And I'm finally starting to really come into what do I want to do with this? And like, what feels good and expansive and like growth and is pushing me and is creatively opening me. And it's, it's different than just moving to music now. Like it's coming from this sacral place of connection that's yeah. saying you can do like, not only can you do this, but like, you've got to do this. I feel like your body almost then gives you no choice. If you, I mean, it's, yes. If you listen to it, if you actually give it the, the breath and the chance to say what it needs to say and you act on that, it's like, how could you not? hundred percent. But this is also then going back to injury. Right. I mean, I feel like when people throw out their back or they bust their knee, that is your body saying, can we fucking stop? Yeah. Stop. Yeah. I've been having an issue here, whether it is with safety, security, finances, my spat, like whatever it is, I'm having an issue with my self-worth and I am not paying attention to it. And so in that same vein, if we listen to our bodies when it's pushing us to do something that is open and expansive and growing and, and, and scary, sure. <laughs> also scary, yeah. like, but there, your body is constantly giving you messages and guiding you. If you can listen, if you can learn the skills to listen to her or him or they, it's just, it is about being open to it. Um, learning the skills Sometimes it's being still and silent and sometimes it's getting up and moving. It's just experimenting with it all and getting to know you in your human body in this lifetime. And that I feel like allows you to just live to your fullest potential. But so much of us are scared and we just don't listen to our bodies. Oh. Yeah. So like as a physical therapist, do you feel like you're just... I mean, like, I feel like we're, we're given such a beautiful permission to touch people's bodies, yeah. but it's like, we're actually also given this position to guide people deeper. 
I just got the the word that landed was like an interpreter. Mm. Like I feel like we're interpret what's the word we're interpreting um these messages for people who haven't yet been given either the space or the teaching to to know that for themselves yeah initially yeah and it's it is kind of weird and sad to me that we don't really learn these parts of our bodies right away um just anything any kind of like anatomy basic anatomy you know like obviously you have to start somewhere and yeah it's just it's really interesting um, I try to teach my girls who are almost eight and 10. I try to just bring up like, what does that feel like? What does that feel like in your tummy right now? Yeah. Your tummy tells you so much, right? Oh, yeah. And uh, my daughter was reading a book that had a lot of um, races, racism in it, like mm-hmm. as a, the part of the plot line. And she just said, I just don't, I just don't like this. I just oh, yeah. don't like it. And it was interesting. So it's actually an Asian character who is being racist um, towards a black character. And I said, you know what, that's actually really brilliant of that writer, because it's not just necessarily like a white to black thing. Like it really like black to Jews, Asian to Jews. Like it's, it's, it can be anybody. It can happen in any context. I liked that little extra layer, but you know, I'm so glad she said that to me. And I said, well, what does that feel like in your tummy? Is it, is your tummy feel weird? And she was like, yes. And I said, yeah, that's a really good sign that you feel that even though it's uncomfortable. Because that's the kind of stuff you need to listen to as you get older and you're put in situations that maybe your friends are doing something or someone's asking you to do something or you're all of a sudden finding yourself in a place that doesn't feel right. Like that's the gut intuition that you need to listen to. So what's interesting, like with knowing human design a little Mm -hmm. bit and knowing what that authority is for for a lot of people, right? It's going to feel like that gut sensation because a lot of us in the world are manifestors or generators and you feel that as like a gut thing yeah like I have a splenic authority which it's yes it's in my center right or it's in the torso but it feels when I get those hits yeah it's moment to moment and it's um like yes it's very soft and and like yeah it's just like this wash like this light wash over me and when I think back to even um, the slip and slide incident <laughs> with my teeth, right? It was like, I had an internal no mm. and I overrode it. Yep. And look what happened. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, such a good lesson. And yeah, I could have all the feelings about it. And I've definitely processed a lot of those feelings, but it was like, okay, lesson fucking learn. <laughs> mm-hmm. I am not trying to put myself in that position again. So knowing what your yes, what your no yeah yes whether it's a feeling of color like a a voice like you just don't know a pull you know yeah and we override it so much and a lot of times that is a learned trauma response Mm -hmm. to override your intuition and unfortunately parenting (laughs) kind of is like overriding your kids intuition because you know they don't have these fully developed brains so they just want to like eat all the cookies and we have to be like no right. you can't eat all the cookies that's yeah intuition, that's right? a Is desire it? well yes. it's a desire it's like yeah. this taste bud like uh t- you know stomach cr- i don't know but and like what yeah what would happen though if you let them eat all the cookies they're gonna get a stomach ache they're gonna learn their lesson they're gonna learn to listen to those messages not the like 
easy. Right. Right. They're going to learn like, oh yeah, two's enough. Although they yeah. have like the memories of hamsters. So they kind of like, <laughs> <laughs> that's why I think, you know, parenting really is one of these things where like, first of all, we're going to make mistakes. It's really, I mean, it's kind of our, kind of, we're supposed to mess up. Like that's, that's what it is. We're giving our kids their lessons, right? And we're giving them the things that they're, they asked to learn as their souls came down to this yeah. earth of like what they wanted to learn. And vice versa. And right? vice versa. Oh my God. There's no mirror like your child. I can't wait. Oh, golly. I, it's like I, I wait, but I can't wait. Also. My firstborn is a lot like me and I was like oh shit <laughs> I I honestly I feel like I called my mom and I was like mom I'm so sorry I get it now <laughs> isn't that funny yeah yeah and and now when she's like you know doing a thing I'm like just wait till you have a child <laughs> <laughs> Oh man, it's uh, having kids is, yeah. So you asked why I got into inner alignment too. And I said that it was partially during COVID with um, anxiety and depression. But honestly, the reason I, the thing that pushed me to do it was my firstborn because I saw her struggling. She was like four or five and she felt shame, intense shame when she would do something wrong or something. And I was just thinking like, where did you learn that? Like, I don't think I'm shaming you. I mean, like, where did you learn? It was visceral the way you could see her working through this. It was like so bizarre to see this little four-year-old. And I just felt like, I feel badly for this person, this little child. And I don't want to feel badly for you because I would either merge with her tantrums and then throw a mini tantrum of my own. So I couldn't get her to do what I wanted her to do. Or I'd see her struggling and I would, I, I'd feel lost and like, oh, it doesn't feel good. And so I just knew that I needed to work through my shit to be able to support her. I don't want to look at my daughter and feel bad for her like that. Like, yeah, ew, like, like, like I felt like you're going to, your life's going to be such a struggle because sometimes she would just make things hard on herself. She would be so hard on herself that I could just, I was projecting my own life that in my twenties, I, I made life fucking hard for myself. I was depressed. I felt so behind in life, even though on paper, I really wasn't, I was doing a ton of shit, but it just felt internally like very depressing, very not so not good enough. And I just like, I think I like pounded that into my body. And I just sort of like visualized her growing up and, and living that same life. And I just didn't want that for her. And so I just, I needed to find a way to support her. And I've been told this again, and you guys probably even heard it too, but it starts with you. You can't change anybody else. You got to do your own work. And then you being you is what helps other people. Especially as a mother. I've been able to mirror like, tell my girls like talk through my process like when I'm losing my shit I can actually talk myself down you're like coaching yourself I am co I, I'm literally <laughs> yes coaching myself being like mommy did not need this and you know what I just but I'm also I'm a little bit hungry and I'm really tired and like that person probably just you know xyz and so you know girls I'm just gonna take a moment 
when we get home, I'm going to take some time to myself. It'd be really great if you could just, you know, and it's, it's, they're probably wide-eyed, like what's wrong with her, but no, they have been able, I think to one, understand that it's okay to feel your feelings and to work through them. And my older one, who's now 10, like she really has gotten pretty good at it where she can say what she's feeling, which is huge and kind of experience it without shaming herself anymore. Like she doesn't judge herself that the way that she did when she was younger. And obviously this is her growing and her brain is growing, but I think to have like a structure that she can see it happening in real time is very helpful. Yeah. And it's just weird because some parents don't ever want to break down in front of their children or, or, or they yell, but they don't ever apologize or they're always apologize. Like there's just to be this balance of being human and then taking personal responsibility That's a huge one. for what just happened, because there's always going to be something that just happened. Yeah, <laughs> you're going to be triggered. It's, you know, you're going to lose your shit or you're going to be sad or you're going to be victimized, but owning up to that and saying it out loud to someone else. I just remember, yeah, my dad would lose his shit on us, which didn't actually look really like big and angry. It was like a few harsh words mm. and like, I'm disappointed in you, you mm. know? But then always, always at the end of the day, he'd come back and be like, you know, we're putting putting us to bed or something like yeah. that and just apologize for the way he spoke to us and like yeah. got really more clear about what that was and just repaired the rupture wow by the end of the day, always yes you know it wasn't like that stuff lingered at all yeah I mean that hasn't happened we haven't had ruptures like that probably since like I was in college how evolved Mr. Ellis well he's a spiritual man oh well I mean and there it goes again like yeah. it may sound woo woo but really taking a spiritual journey to figure out what it is for you in my opinion, is just critical and foundational to personal growth. We can't do it alone. And I think that it's, there There might, obviously there's people who maybe think that there's nothing else that's bigger than them on earth, or maybe like they don't believe in multiple lives or, you know, when you die, you just die and that's it. And that's fine, like your own personal belief system. But I just feel like if you look at the sky, <laughs> if you just look up, literally, and you recognize how small we are on this planet Earth. How can there not be something bigger? Right. Or something guiding. I just, something looking out for you. Something that wants the best for you. Like, it feels really good. It feels really good to connect to spirituality. And it doesn't have to be anyone else's spirituality. You don't have to do rituals. You don't, it's just, just connecting to self. Because the spirit lives within you. It is you. It is. You. Yeah. And once you can reclaim that and it feels honest and true to you, it's not like some goofy expectation or it's not just a book. Like it's just, it's not a building. It it just, you carry it around with you always. And, and just life doesn't feel so hard. It's, it's just not as hard. It's not as heavy. It take it's like, it's so simple. It's so simple and yet it can be so mystifying yeah. for people yeah because I think there just hasn't been uh, people to guide you to find your own spirituality or your own path I mean that's not true there, there's a lot of kind of coaches and stuff out there now but 
I don't know. Um, I don't know. Do you do you do that kind of work with people where you kind of help them discover who or what? That I no, not necessarily like that. I I do my best to try to connect them down into their their essence, mm-hmm. right? Whatever essence that is. But from like the higher power kind of a thing, I feel like that's that is a spirituality journey that I'm not necessarily guiding people on. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do feel like because the pussy is such a portal mm. and especially when you give birth or when you have a really deep connection to your sexuality, it can be a spiritual experience to then like come into divine union with not only yourself, but maybe with a partner with like a mother child or, you know, parent child um, relationship. Like that can feel so deeply connected that how can you not think of that as spiritual, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Again, it was when I had kids that it, um, there's something outside of you. There's something bigger than you. It just, um, yeah, it makes you like less selfish, yeah. but also more self-aware. Yeah. Definitely. So, oh. Yeah, it's interesting because I think there was like a lot of unlearning, at least for from my part, um, because spirituality was very deeply rooted in religion. Mm-hmm. And I had to unpack the religion part to then get to the deeper spirituality and like what that means for me to connect with God, with nature, with myself, with that, like just inner intelligence that is a part of me is me and also not. Right? Yeah. It's like all and it's all the things. And it's interesting because I remember just sort of starting into this spiritual journey and I think there was a meditation that kind of ended with like, I am divine or, and I was like, huh? <laughs> divine was up there. What are we talking about? <laughs> for me, I really started that divine was just a light. It just was the easiest thing for me to visualize. And since then I've sort of collected this cast of characters, but it was a feeling that I would get that all of a sudden I was like, oh, it's it I am divine it is in me right and it is it's really nothing that you can like read or be told like you have to be guided to feel it and then you get it yes and then you get that we're all one yes and then you get that we're all mirrors and it's like all of a sudden you can let go of a lot of gripes and you can forgive shit and it's like life isn't as hard as we're making it Oh, you just made me think of anatomy of the spirit where like all all is all is one is like one of the truths like the first truth for yeah. the chakra you know and that's again one of those concepts when I first learned it I was like what the fuck is this <laughs> yeah but you know like once you're exposed to it it's like the same thing like when you start to like hear about one certain kind of car and then you like see it everywhere mm-hmm. like so you get exposed yep. to this quote-unquote truth or um or idea and then all of a sudden it's like around you and being presented to you because now you're open. Now you're open yes. to it. Yes. When you're open to it, then you're, you are opening that portal. You're letting that energy come to you. Yeah. And it took some time to like understand it in my body, but then I would get these hits of it. And I was like, Oh shit, we are one. We're one web. We're one drop in the ocean. Like it's, it just, 
it makes it feel so much better. Life feels so much better. You're just not alone. You're not alone. I think so many people suffer from alone. Right. Unfortunately, Mm -hmm. but, but you don't have to, right. Mm -hmm. You got us. You sure do. (laughs) You have Britain Perry right here. (laughs) Speaking of to wrap it up, how are you showing up for people these days? I know you just launched a new website. So how are you able to like help people through what offerings are you, are you wanting to? Yeah. So I touched on all of them. I am a physical therapist. I work with pelvic floor and I've actually also had a lot of dancers recently, but I mean, I work with anything, any body part and any person who is like we said, open to working in a holistic way. So I also really enjoy doing just intuitive body work, which is hands-on. Um, I wouldn't just call it massage because it's it's not. It is figuring out, it's intuitively figuring out what part of your body needs work and whether that is a modality like cupping or gua sha or crystals or acupressure, or is it, um, you know, it's just, talking while feeling into your body uh, with some some kind of hands-on work. So definitely in that physical realm. And then I have inner, inner alignment programs, um, programs I do on my own, programs that I do jointly with my sister-in-law, who's just this absolutely wonderful human that is a very different dosha that I am. I mean, she's just a different energetic makeup. And so it's I can be a little like fiery and pushy and she's very soft and grounding. And so having two different types of doshas of people holding space for you, um, our programs really just, it's just very powerful. Um, and then dance, I'm just always going to be a dancer. So coaching dance injury, I think there's a lot of psychological stuff that comes with dancers. Like I said, dance is a crazy. So there's just so much pressure and perfectionism, um, that, I help dancers work through and, you know, or even just beginning dancers feeling confident and like taking up space. It's about you taking up the fucking space, literally opening your arms, literally like dancing full out, you know, drawing that out of people is like one of the things I love to do. I almost feel like even if you're say not a dancer, you don't call yourself a dancer. You're just like a person, a woman who needs to learn how to take up space. Mm-hmm. Like, it, like dance is the modality. Yeah. It's I, the I, and even if you're not a dancer, I disagree. Everybody is a dancer. Yes, I agree with everyone's that. Everyone's an absolutely. artist and everyone's a dancer. So yeah, I also do um, a joint thing with um, my, my dance partner friend. Her name is Ashley and we do something called the AC Experience. And what we have done, we danced professionally back in 2000 in Los Angeles together. And we are now older dancers. We've come back into the scene and we are just taking all of these concepts of taking up space, standing in who you are, um, connecting to your body, connecting to your narrative, telling your story. It's not really about the tricks. It's not really about nailing a double pirouette. It's about even standing in the pause in the moment. And then it's just all these things. And it's, so it's helping women connect to themselves through dance. Yeah. It's like all exciting. It's so special. It's so special. And I don't remember if you remember this, but like I connect to it um, so deeply when you talk about it like that, because 
I did a dance minor when I was in college. Did you Wait, know? No. <laughs> why do I not know this? But that's why I love like what you do and I love how you show up and I love how you serve. Oh my god, well, you I need, need to come. come. <laughs> and I will. I will. Yes, it really is for it's for all levels. Um, if you're a beginner, we help you break it down because there's two of us, so you do get that extra attention. If you are advanced professional, we push you where you're at because a lot of times too, and we're so technically adept, we forget to connect in, inside. Mm. So it's just there's always something we can be working on. And I do that myself in class to try to just connect, 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 create an authentic performance. Because that's what's interesting. Yes. That's what people want to see. And that's what you want to give is authenticity. So my job. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. I love you. I love you too. <laughs> All right. We'll see you guys next time. Thanks for listening and putting your finger on the Pelvic Pulse podcast. I'm Brittany Ellers. The music for this podcast was created by Justek. Please follow the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts by hitting the subscribe button and share it with your loved ones if you found the episode helpful. If you haven't checked out my free womb medicine meditations or phasic community, click the link in the show notes. The meditations and community boards are the perfect place to begin or broaden your connection to your pelvic health, no matter what stage in life you're in. I'd be honored to support you along your journey.